Grammy Grace this morning. Uh, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to James chapter 5. We're continuing our sermon series exploring the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Signs of the power of the Spirit at work in a person's life. And this morning we're looking at patience. Patience, one of the signs of God's work is that we are able to wait. And so I want to read our passage, James chapter 5, verses 7 through 11. This is the brother of Jesus. He's writing this letter about wisdom to Christians who are experiencing persecution. And and let's see what he says. Verse 7, he says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. This is the word of God for the people of God. Well, this morning we begin our series of an Advent. And Advent is a season of waiting. Waiting. And I read uh, recently that the average person's lifetime, they will spend about five years waiting. Waiting in lines. Um, roughly six months of those five years, I don't know if this will encourage you or discourage you, Roughly six months of those five years waiting will be spent waiting at traffic lights. Six months. Now, that can do one of two things. Either one, you can clock that, sit there and be like, hey, you know, this is just accumulating my time of my six months waiting at a, at a traffic light. Or you can try to beat the system. I'm someone who wants to beat the system. So uh, often when I'm driving home, if I'm in traffic, especially along 71, I try to get past it. I'll take the exit, go along, go on the side roads to try to get ahead of everybody else. And I don't know if this is a little weird, maybe you do this, but I will have a reference point. I will look and find a truck in traffic on 71 and see if I can beat that truck getting back on. So this is kind of what my life comes down to, racing against cars and trucks. But waiting is frustrating. Waiting is frustrating. Recently, I was at the BMV, which is interesting. Why in Ohio do we call it the BMV? Everyone else calls it the DMV, department. We call it the Bureau. It's like the FBI or something. But I was at the BMV, and nobody's happy at the BMV. Just look around. Everyone is in line and angry about it. You just like feel, you hear these constant sighs, like, <sighs> there's no cheer and excitement when you're in the line at the BMV, and you're, you're, you're often looking at the person working. You're just kind of staring at them, groaning, like, you're going to take your time? And then you see someone get up to the, to the line, and they're fumbling for their paperwork, and you're just like, oh, good grief, be ready. 
And of course, I spend so much time grumbling and groaning about it that when I get up there, I'm not ready myself. And I'm thankful that the person takes their time with me. Waiting is hard. We hate waiting. And I think that's one of the reasons we prize the endurance and patience in others, but we don't want to live that way. We want to find the shortcuts. We don't want to wait. And companies capitalize on this. They know we don't want to wait, and so they capitalize on our our desire for impulse and quick things. Uh, Walmart put in research and found that every half second it takes for someone to order something online, it costs them millions of dollars every day. Every half second that someone needs to wait when they click on something to purchase it. A movie streaming company, Netflix, um, which, just think, I grew up in a time where you actually had to drive to this place called Blockbuster and get out of your car and go in and pick up, it was called a DVD. Some of you young people might not remember what that is, but now we have Netflix, and here's what they found, and streaming, streaming services have found, that people are willing to wait two seconds to download a movie. At five seconds, at five seconds, think of that, one, two, three, four, even right there, that made you nervous, right? Five seconds, a quarter of the people will just give up and try to watch something else. At 10 seconds, half of the people won't, won't watch what they were going to watch. Otherwise, 10 seconds of waiting for a whole movie. We don't want to wait. Now, you might be impatient about purchasing something online. You might be impatient about downloading a movie But if our life, if our life is defined by impatience, we will miss out on so much. So this morning, we want to look at two things as we explore patience and the pains of life. We want to look at the problem of impatience, what it leads us to, and the power to be patient. How patience isn't just a problem but it can be one of God's graces in your life. The problem of impatience and the power of patience. First, the problem of impatience. James, he he opens up our passage. He says, be patient, be patient. Now, when I hear someone say, be patient, I kind of have in my mind a parent talking to their child. (laughs) Be patient, you need to wait. I don't so much think it's something for adults. And yet, it's interesting James, the brother of Jesus, in this letter, he opens the letter and here closes the letter talking about patience. James. Now, we rem- many of us have heard about this letter. This is what we remember James. He says, faith without works is dead. You know, he gets in your face. You, if you're just a hearer of the word but not a doer of the word, there's nothing. That's what he's saying. The whole book is about wisdom. It's about what happens when faith and God shapes your life. He begins and closes with patience. Why? Why does he do that? Why why is it so important? I want to show you you why. Uh, One of the reasons is that if you are impatient, impatience will lead you to miss out on precious fruit in your life. You will miss out on so much. In verse 7, he says, See how the farmer waits. He waits for the precious fruit of the earth. How does a farmer get precious fruit? He tills the soil, he prepares the soil, he plants seed, 
and then he waits. If he just prepares the soil, plants a seed, and a day later goes out there, he's not going to enjoy the fruit. It requires waiting. So much in life requires patience. It requires that we wait. A Walter Michel had a terrible time quitting smoking. And following him through a, as a college graduate at Ohio State and then into Stanford, he started one of the most notable psychological experiments. Maybe you've heard of it. It's called the Marshmallow Test. <laughs> and he had hundreds of kids, about four years old, and he sat them in a room and he put a marshmallow right in front of them and they had to wait 15 minutes, 15 minutes. And if they were able to wait 15 minutes, they were going to get another marshmallow. Only a third of the kids were able to wait. Only a third of the kids were able to wait. Now, here's what's interesting. They did follow-up studies on these kids, and here's what they found. In follow-up studies, the researchers found that children who could sit down with a marshmallow in front of them and not eat it for a full 15 minutes did better in almost every area of life than their more impulsive kids. They scored higher on test scores, had stronger relationships, were promoted more often, and were happier in life. The ability to delay gratification, the ability to wait. What are some of the precious fruits in your life that you may miss out because you're impulsive and can't wait? Uh, for some of us, it's finances. We struggle with money. What we get, we spend right away, living paycheck to paycheck. We have no plan for our money. We get it, we spend it. Uh, for some of us, it's career. We have no patience for our career. We feel, especially college graduates and millennials, we have this expectation that as soon as we get a job, we're entitled to be the CEO of the company and want to tell everyone what to do. And so we jump, from, we jump from job to job expecting this promotion. We're not patient. Some of us, we struggle with patience in relationships. We're quick to cut ties and run. And this is the second result of impatience. Impatience leads to judgmental grumbling. James puts it this way in verse 9. He says, do not grumble against one another. And then he references God as the judge. He understands that grumbling, being impatient with people at its core is being judgmental. The term here for, for grumbling is to not so. And, it, and, and it's like our English word. It means uh, a loud sigh, a groan, a grumble, Arr, you know, grumbling. Someone makes a mistake, grumble. Arr. Someone makes a mistake, we sigh. One of the things I do when people make a mistake is I have scary eyes. Just kind of look at my kids. And, uh, and what does that communicate? A grumble, a sigh. What does that do? When you're grumbling at someone, you're not, you're not talking to them. You're not coming alongside and saying, I love you, and we can do better. It's just shaming them. It's letting them know that you're not happy, that they've inconvenienced you. Groaning and grumbling is not loving. 
There's no conversation and care. You know, we do this when we're in line at the BMV, we just grumble and stare and sigh. And many of us do this in our relationships. When people do things we don't like, when we show up at our apartment and our roommate left a mess in the kitchen. (sighs) You go and you're trying to study. You have a big test the next day and all of a sudden you start hearing bass. And, And what do you think in that moment? Your roommate is there, they're playing music, and what do you think? Do you think, oh, well, you know, man, I have to study for this test. I'm glad that they found some music that they enjoy. You know, maybe we can work something out. Maybe we can, we can work something out. Maybe they can turn it down and I can study. No, you, you grumble. You execute them in your heart. You think, do they have a clue? Here they are, this selfish person just listening to their music. I'm trying to make a difference in the world. Do the right thing. Study. They just, we grumble. We gripe. We give people scary eyes when they don't do what we want. And that's a bad thing. And when that shapes how we relate, there's no culture of grace and patience and kindness. There's just griping. And unfortunately, a lot of times churches, this is what we're known for. A community of grumblers. Grumbling at everybody. Grumbling at the world. Grumbling at each other. Complaining. And how do you feel when someone's grumbling at you? I hear it a lot. You know, teachers, the, the hardest thing about being a teacher is often the parents, not the kids. The parents just grumble and complain. I think of going to a coffee shop when the barista doesn't give me my latte right on time. We need to be careful not to create that culture and how we relate, being impatient with people. A third result of impatience, this is very important. In our impatience, we will not honor the pains and longings in our life. We won't honor them. I look at verse 10. James, he gives an example again. He says, an example of suffering and patience, brothers. Look at the prophets. Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. James, he's pointing people to, those, to prophets. Now, we think a prophet is kind of a privileged job. Like, oh man, if I could be a prophet, that would be cool. Speak on behalf of God and people would all be like, yes. <laughs> That's not what happens. The Old Testament is littered with prophets who aren't heard or respected. They're rejected by people. Isaiah, you may have read the book of Isaiah. Isaiah was was disregarded as a crazy by his peers, and yet he remained steadfast. He said things like, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Isaiah said, I'm not going to give up on this. You can reject it. I'm going to remain steadfast. Jeremiah, who's called the weeping prophet, not a name you'd want, weeping because life was miserable for him. Listen to what he said. It'll be on the screen. 
Jeremiah 9, thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, God, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love. Look at that, steadfast love. God says, I'm rooted, I'm committed. Practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. You can just hear, you can just feel Jeremiah. People don't want to hear this. And Jeremiah is this weeping, nagging prophet. says, no. No, God's not moving on past the need for justice. And when we have no patience, what happens is we, we crumble in the face of opposition. We don't honor the things we're called to build a life on. We quit. We crumble. We can't withstand it. We, we you know, if you're going to devote your life to a cause like pursuing justice and care for the widow and orphan, it takes a lifetime. If you're going to do it in a way that's not just posting something on social media or just blaming others or making it just about your, your vote, if you're actually going to invest your life in these causes, it requires steadfastness, patience, rootedness, because our world isn't for that. Our world is not bent toward protecting those who cannot protect themselves. Impatience will lead to caving under the pressures of life. So now, how can we find patience? How can we have the power to be patient? I'm, I'm hopeful that, that right now you, you really want patience. That patience isn't just, a, oh, you know, gosh, it'd be nice for the kids. Good for them to share their toys. Good for them to be able to wait. Oh, it's nice. But that you actually see that impatience will destroy you. How now can we be patient? And I came across a poem by a guy, R.S. Thomas, Ronald Stuart Thomas, who was a Welsh poet and an Anglican priest. And he, he wrote a lot about meaning and truth and experiencing in life. And he had this poem called Kneeling, and it really struck me this week. And, and I want to share it with you. Listen to what he says. And as a forewarning, this is poetry. So poetry requires time and meditation. If it doesn't, he doesn't share a story of meaning. He he forces us to grapple with the truth. Listen to what he says. Moments of great calm, kneeling before an altar, of wood in a stone church, in summer waiting for the God, for the message. Prompt me, God, but not yet. When I speak, though it, may, though it be you who speak, through me something is lost. The meaning is in the waiting. The meaning is in the waiting. Reading this and rereading this, it finally struck me what, what he's going for, what he's saying. Begins kneeling before an altar, this desire to be close to God, to experience God, to have his presence. And then comes the disappointments, the pains, and the normalcies of life. And we want God in those moments to just give a word. 
We don't want his silence in the pain and the waiting. We want his truth. We want a word in that moment. And what Thomas experiences and what he's come to realize is that often the word that God brings is the waiting itself. That there is meaning, not just in getting past the pain, but in the pain. There is meaning in patience, meaning in waiting. And so as we move toward closing our time, we've talked about how impatience, what it leads to. What can patience lead to? What meaning can you find in life as a result of waiting, as a result of being in line? What meaning can we find in waiting? A few things. We see this in our text in James. We can learn about the patience of God. That's meaning. That's a learning and waiting. James, over and over again, he references the coming of the Lord. He says, you also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. He references God's timing. God's coming. Be patient because God, he's coming. Wait. God has timing. I want things quick. I'm, I'm in a hurry. Going from place to place. Conversation to conversation, routinely not quite present right where I am. Always thinking, always wanting to be at the next thing. And I'm reactionary. When something happens, I want quick reaction. I don't stop. I consider, praise God that he is patient. Patient. Takes his time. You know, I grumble at the BMV. Thank Jesus is there. Talking to people. You know, Jesus, if I were Jesus, and we talk about this a lot, I reference this a lot, if I were Jesus, man, I couldn't walk anywhere. If I were Jesus, I would need to create for myself a little speed scooter. You know those razors you can go around? I mean, who, why walk anywhere anymore? You can get on a scooter and have a motorized, you know, quick. Jesus, here he's Jesus. All the people that could be healed. All the influential people to talk to. And here, he's walking. Walking from place to place. Conversation to conversation. He's patient. And I'm thankful that he's not just patient in his life, but he's patient with me. Patient with me because I am such a grumbler. I'm so thankful that God doesn't treat me like I often treat others. We learn about God's patience in the waiting. Waiting also teaches us about presence and love. Pain, and suffering, and waiting. They have a way of teaching us about what really matters in life. James says, Behold, we consider those, who, those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. Steadfastness of Job. Job, who is Job? Job was a man who lost everything. Family, wealth. He lost it all. And at the other end of his story, we see this man of faith and patience. The losses of life taught him about where joy and purpose and meaning can be found. And that is so true, friends, for life. Um, Paul Kalanathi, 
wrote a book, When Breath Becomes Air. And it's an, it is a wonderful book. I highly recommend it. Paul was a neurosurgeon, and he writes about, he gives this memoir of a journey in his life of dealing with people who were facing death, dealing with cancer, and then himself experiencing cancer. He came down with cancer, and he would die. And he writes this memoir wrestling with meaning in life, in light of death, in light of the loss of time. Where is meaning found? And he, and he writes this, and it stuck with me. It's very powerful. And I'm, I'm only going to read part of the quote. I'll read the end. Uh, the, um, I'm sorry, the only part of the quote will be on the screen. And listen to what he says. He says, everyone succumbs to finitude. I suspect I am not the only person who reaches this blue perfect state. Most ambitions are either achieved or abandoned. Either way, they belong to the past. The future, instead of the latter, toward the goals of life, flattens out into a perpetual present. Money, status, all the vanities the preacher of Ecclesiastes described hold so little interest a chasing after wind indeed. See what he's saying? Saying in the face of coming death, when he's about to die, all the, all the vanities of life, they, they lose their power. He says, well, one thing cannot be robbed of her futurity. My daughter, Katie. I hope I'll, get, I'll live long enough that she has some memory of me. Words have a longevity I do not. I had thought I could leave her a series of letters. But what would they really say? His daughter Katie is a newborn at this time. I don't know what this girl will be like when she is 15. I don't even know if she'll take to the nickname we've given her. There is perhaps only one thing to say to this infant who is all future, overlapping briefly with me, whose life, barring the improbable, is all but past. And here's his message, what waiting and pain and death taught him, his message for his daughter. The message is simple. It's on the screen. Uh, you can go back one. There we go. The message is simple. When you come to one of the many moments in life when you must give an account of yourself, provide a ledger of what you have been and done and meant to the world. Do not, I pray, discount that you filled a dying man's days with a sated joy, a joy unknown to me in all my prior years, a joy that does not hunger for more and more, but rests satisfied. In this time right now, that is an enormous thing. Pain, waiting, teach us about what really matters. Lastly, pain, waiting, they teach us about our need for hope about where true hope can be found. Again, James is 
all throughout referring to the coming of the Lord. You know, James, not long after writing this letter, will be martyred. He will remain steadfast in the pain of life. And in Hebrews chapter 6, we see the author of Hebrews writing about pain and suffering. And he, he points, uh, he says this in verse 19 of chapter 6, after referencing um, Abraham waiting on the promises of God, and he equates it to life, and he says, we need to wait. Listen to what he says in verse 19. We have this assured and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. The author says, Look at what we have in the midst of the pains of life, in the midst of death, in the midst of persecution. What do we have? What do we have? A sure and steadfast anchor for the soul. Where is the anchor of your soul placed? If the anchor of your soul is yourself, if that is your anchor, you will be crushed. One of two things will happen if you become the anchor of your life. When the pains come, one of two things will happen. Either one, if you are the anchor, you'll pretend like bad things aren't so bad. Pain comes, a friend dies, you won't be able to grieve because there's no hope. So you just have to move on. You numb the pain. You numb it with work, with money, intimacy, alcohol. We will numb the pain if our hope is not in Jesus. When we are our anchor, we just, we can't deal with it. We can't go to the hospital. It's too depressing. We can't have conversations with people who are hurting because it just, it kills the buzz. It brings us down. We can have a little bit, but always laced with kind of superficial platitudes. We can't really lament. Makes us uncomfortable. It's not happy. What about about Christmas and presents? We'll think about that. We'll make Christmas season about uh, water chestnuts around an open fire and the nice feelings. And that's what we want in life is to just feel good. And pain just takes from that. If we are our anchor, that we will either just pretend like bad things aren't so bad, or, or we will grow to be cynical and grumble. And we see no beauty in the world. We only see the weeds. We only see the problems. We are hopeless. We think nothing can change. Nothing good will happen. Someone shares that they, that they celebrated the birth of a child, and you think, well, you know, One day the child will die. Some people, you know, don't have that privilege. Some of us, we can't celebrate the joys in life because the pains have squashed them all out. But if our anchor is in Christ, now, now, we don't need to numb the pain and we don't need to be defined by it. We have an anchor in someone who has overcome it. 
Jesus. It says the steadfast one, Jesus, entered into the world. Entered in. And in the face of the cross, in the face of the greatest injustice of the world, remained steadfast. Gave his life. So that grumblers like you and me, impatient, imperfect people, could experience ultimate life. Praise God that he is patient. Praise God that he is powerful. Praise God that in his purposes, as James said, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful we can experience that good news today. Let's pray. Lord, we are mindful this week of the pains of life. God, thank you for being the kind of God who doesn't stay detached, who doesn't enter in with a hammer, but who entered in with your son who was hammered on the cross so that we could experience love, grace, and eternal joy. May that truth define our life. May that be our 